So we come to the final parts. Part one. So we looked at, so we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. This is a sermon that Jesus preached to his followers to try and tell them, this is what I stand for. This is what I'm about. If he was a politician, it would have been his manifesto. But it's so much more than that. Part one, we looked at sex and violence. If you're thinking, well, I missed that one. It was when we had baptisms and he went straight to online. So if you haven't seen that, you can go onto our YouTube channel and you'll find me talking about that. Part two was Joshua talking about money and possessions. What do we do with our stuff? Part three was last week and Phil talked about judgment and hypocrisy. And this morning I am talking about example and fulfillment. Thank you very much. Actually, I put the sermon together and I did the fulfillment bit. I thought this sermon's too long. She'll so be glad to know I cut that bit out. Um, so we're actually going to be just looking at example uh, this morning. This is the reading. Matthew chapter 7 and verses 24 to 27. It's in the beginning of the New Testament, which is the latter part uh, of the Bible. And this is what it says. These are the words of Jesus. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, remember Jesus has just shared all this teaching, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had a, its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds flew, blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I'll come to that later. But some of you may have seen the news uh, this week, last couple of weeks, uh, climate protesters have been defacing famous works of art. They've uh, they chucked... A mashed potato on a Monet. They chucked uh, tomato soup on a Van Gogh uh, to try and just uh, raise the profile of climate change uh, in our world. Fortunately, the paintings were not damaged because they had a glass uh, cover over them. Um, but the same cannot be said for this next picture. Now, I have to admit, I've shared this before. I just love it. I think it's a great uh, example. Um, there is this mural in a Spanish town. Uh, called, uh, by Elias Garcia Martinez, painted in 1930, called Echo Homo, which means Behold the Man. It's a picture of Jesus. Uh, but as you can see, it got a bit deteriorated over time. It had been a while. Um, so the family decided, the family of the artist said, we will donate some money so it can be renovated. But when they went to renovate, they realized that someone had already done it for them. It turned out there was an old lady uh, in the town in her 80s who was, this was a favorite painting in the entire church and she was so upset that it was in such a state so she decided to renovate it herself and you can see uh what it happened uh, they were furious the town took her to court but actually it was a huge uh, tourism boost for the town they spent thousands of extra visitors came they made thousands of euros in money just selling merchandise with this picture here you see, the reality is that we have done the same as this. We have ruined a masterpiece. 
I'm going to explain. See, at the beginning of the Bible, right at the beginning, in the first chapter of the book, in Genesis chapter 1, we're told about how God created everything. He created the universe, and it goes through day after day he, in creating different parts of the world that we live in. And God said this, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. See, God created a masterpiece. An amazing work of art. And that masterpiece, that work of art, was you and me. He created humanity. We were designed and created not to just be a work of art, but to display God's likeness. There's something about us was like God's. That we were to be God's ambassadors. We were to be his image bearers. We were there to be his authority carriers. In ancient times, when a king you know, owned vast areas of land, he couldn't be there all at once. He put up statues of himself in those places to remind people who were living there that this is the guy who is in charge. We, had, we were designed to be living statues, bearers of God's image, image, bearers of, carriers of his authority. If you read on in Genesis and move to the next chapter, you discover that humanity messed it up. That we took that masterpiece and we ruined it. We decided that we knew better than God, that we would make our own choices, that our autonomy and power was far more important to us than one, our relationship with God, and two, the fact that we carried God's authority. We thought that wasn't enough. We messed up the image of God that we carry. Earlier this year, I heard my son, my youngest, who was four years old, um, calling out to me. But, you know, downstairs, he was very upset and very worried. And I came downstairs to find out what on earth was going on. He was sitting at the dining table and he got given by my sister, it's her fault, um, some um, like gloopy, um, what, they call, what do they call it? Slime, that's it. Slimes are banded from my house now. It's terrible stuff. Um, slime, and it was this gloopy brown. It's supposed to be like poo. And, um, and something had gone wrong with the slime. I don't know if it was too old. And whereas it kind of all stays together, this had started to separate. And he was very upset. We'll see why in a moment. I, because my response was I laughed and took a photo. But he was incredibly upset. Because it had just stuck to him. We tried to wipe it off with a cloth. It would not come off. We tried soap and water. It wouldn't touch it. And he started to panic. He was flipping his hands around. This brown stuff was spraying up the car, on the carpet and up the curtains everywhere. It is revolting. Exactly. <laughs> the only thing we, just, we found out, we went on the internet and searched out what would get rid of it. Turns out vinegar will get rid of anything. So we had to cover him in vinegar. And we managed to get this stuff off him. So like I said, it's my sister's fault that this happens. When we as humanity made a decision to go without God, when we messed up our relationship with God, it's as if we were covered with this stuff that we could not remove. We in the Bible calls it sin. It's the stuff that separates us from God. It's the stuff that ruins our relationship with, with him. And it's the stuff 
that mars our image see we would decide to reflect god's glory we were designed to shine brightly in our worlds and as hum- human beings we are capable of great things great feats great kindness great love and yet sin has messed that up and we know just from watching our news or just seeing the world around us how destructive sin has been i was just hearing in the news today about how you know we're fighting about cl- against climate change we're buying our electric cars anyone got an electric car no one's admitting to it. Um, you know, we think we're winning the war. It turns out in 2021, the greenhouse gases, carbon, was at its highest concentration than ever before last year. And a report from the UN this week says that we are now beyond turning back with regards to some of the initial targets. It's hearing stuff in the news this week, you probably heard it, of a, a woman who murdered her friend who she met in church because of money. This is the consequences of that sin that has stuck to us. We are capable of so much good, and yet we're messing everything up. It's causing the destruction of our world. It's caused inequality, racism, war, division. It's causing low, low self-esteem and mental health issues. And we know that that is just off the charts at the moment in our community, particularly among young people. And the Bible tells us the consequences of this sin is death. We can't get it off. Not even vinegar. And if we read through the Bible, the Bible is split into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the Old Testament is a story of humanity struggling to get themselves clean and failing time and time again. If you were here in our church this time last year, we had a sermon series called Game of Thrones. We looked at one particular book in the Bible called Judges. And it just talks about how messed up God's chosen people, Israel, were. And they're on this downward spiral, getting worse and worse. We call it Game of Thrones, because if you've ever seen the series Game of Thrones, it's just horrible and yucky and messy and violent. And that's exactly what the book of Judges is like. We have failed miserably to be image bearers of God. But there is hope. So in the latter part of the Old Testament, there's a group of guys called the Prophets. And they were... Uh, Guys in the nation of Israel who shared what God wanted to say to his chosen nation, his chosen people, uh, Israel. And one particular guy called Jeremiah uh, shares these words. I love these words. So much hope in them. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. So he had taken this guy, this nation of Israel, a guy called Abraham and all his descendants that would become the nation of Israel. He made a covenant with them. The closest parallel we have these days is a marriage. God was marrying these people and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. When I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt for 500 years and God rescued them. Why is it going to be different? Because they broke the covenant. 
Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. God said, I will be faithful to you and I will bless you if you're faithful to me. And God's people were unfaithful time and time again. But it continues, this is a covenant I will make with the people of Israel. A new covenant, something new, something different after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their gods and they will be my people. See, rather than laws being about external moral behaviour, actually God's about that image becomes something that's in our hearts. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, know the law, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. There's so much hope there. And then comes along Jesus. And if you've been following this series on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is basically saying, you know, we can be outwardly and physically good. Why am I a good person? I'm good, you know, I, I, I treat my neighbours well. I don't swear, at least not in public. And, you know, I'm, I'm nice to people. And I, I pop money in the Remembrance Sunday thing, I have a little poppy and all this sort of stuff. I'm a good person. And God's saying, what you are on the outside is not good enough because you are marred and messed up and dirty on the inside. And what you need is a deep clean. See, I know, and I'm guessing that you know too, that I'm a messed up person. I'm a nice guy. I'm all right. But I am so aware of the things that I have done in the past that are wrong. And I could so easily repeat those things, despite the fact that I don't want to. And I also know the wrong that I am capable of doing. Do you feel that yourself? Are you truly aware that, you know, if it, if it wasn't for the fact that I had a nice house or a nice home, I lived in a, a law-abiding society, who knows what I would be like if those things were removed? We are so shaped by our context, we can be good people because we're in a nice place. But take us out of that, stick us in a war zone, then what would I be like? Suddenly I realise I'm maybe not the good person that I thought I was. And Jesus comes along and says, the root problem, the issue, with all the wrong in the world, is what's in here. You, me, everyone, capable of so much good, because we're creating God's image, and yet we mess it up time and time again. Given the choice, we'll make the wrong one. So Jesus comes along and he sets an example. And you might be thinking, well, what's so special about Jesus? Why can he talk about, you know, this different way of living? How, what right does he have to talk about this? How can he set a good example? Well, after we read about, we read about the story of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are four gospels. They talk about the ministry, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And after that, we have a series of, of letters and writings that kind of unpick 
all of what Jesus talked about. And here are just some quotes from some of those letters. So Paul said, God who made him, that's Jesus, knew no sin. The writer of Hebrews, we're not entirely sure who that was, says, one who has been tempted, that's Jesus, in all things as we are, yet without sin. John writes in his letters, in him, Jesus, there is no sin. And then Peter in his letter said, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. See, the thing that was different about Jesus, different compared to all of us, was he wasn't covered in that dark, gloopy tar that nothing seems to be removed. He had done no wrong. He has no, had no sin, and therefore he is the example to follow. In fact, in the Bible, it says that Jesus is the light of the world. In John, it says Jesus is the light of the world. He's the one that shines brightly in the darkness. See, if we grab and grabby and covered in tar, our, our light is diminished. But Jesus shone so brightly. It says in Hebrews that, that Jesus was the exact representation of God. He was a radiance of God's glory. And what we find when we read the New Testament is that Jesus was God's moved into the neighbourhoods. The maths doesn't add up, but we're told that God was 100%, Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. He was 200%. doesn't work, but I don't know how it, I don't know how to understand it. The reason we could follow Jesus' example because he showed us what it means to be truly human without all that sin messing us up and marring that image. And if we read the whole of Matthew, we find Jesus living out what he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. But we read those words, didn't we? The last part of his Sermon on the Mount where he says, you know what? If you want to live a good life, if you want to live, live your best life, then you need to build it on a strong foundation. And Jesus said, that foundation is me. Is my example, is my teaching. And if you follow that, you'll be like a wise man building his house on the rock. I used to love this song. We sung this song so many times. I um, can't remember it now. There's loads of songs, about two different songs about uh, building a house on a, on a rock and not being on the sand because the wind's coming along, goes splats and splats. And Jesus says, if you want your life to hold firm, then stick with me. Follow my example. There's this quote from a guy called Andy Stanley, who I went to Atlanta two weeks ago and uh, met him. He says, following Jesus will make your life better and will make you better at life. I'll say that again. Following Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. But please note, it doesn't make your life easier. It also doesn't make it better as the world defines it. In fact, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to face persecution. You are going to face troubles. But if you want to live a full, fulfilled life, if you want to be eternal citizens of God's kingdom, then follow Jesus. Because the whole of the Sermon on the Mount is about us living as citizens of a different kingdom. If you've got your passport, it says on my passport, I'm a citizen of the United Kingdom. 
But actually, I have another passport. But I can't show you, but it should be the way I live. And that's why I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. First and foremost, the thing that defines me, the fact that I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. And therefore, I want to follow Jesus's example. I want to live like Jesus. I'm coming to finish now. I just want to say that we're going to take this a little bit further in going deeper tonight. We're going to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, which is hugely important. But just two things quickly as I finish. And these are a whole other sermon. I wish I had more time. I had a real struggle fitting everything in this morning. The first one is this. Number one, Jesus died on a cross to remove not only the consequences of sin, though at the beginning I said the consequences of sin is death, but also to wash us clean. All that muck, all that rubbish, all that sin, Jesus washes us clean. It says these words written by Paul to the church in Corinth. But you, you are cleansed. You are made clean. You are, all that stuff wiped off. You are made holy. You are made right with God. How? Is it by being a good person? Is it about our moral behaviour? Is it about doing everything right? No. It's by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus has washed us clean. That's the first thing. And second thing, and it picks up on this at the end of it, you are cleansed by the work of the Holy Spirit. You see, we are free from the consequences of sin, but which eternal consequences. But actually, we're still suffering from the consequences of sin now. Some of it by other people. If you admit of it, a lot of it we bring on ourselves. A lot of it are mistakes that we make ourselves. And the Bible tells us is that if we welcome God's spirits within us, that God's Holy Spirit will come alongside us. It will fill us. It will help us. It will guide us. It will sustain us. It will transform us from the inside out. It will make us cleaner and cleaner. The long word for this is sanctification. But you don't need to remember that. It's in our lives becoming cleaner and cleaner. Helping us to be a light and a citizen of God's kingdom. In a moment, we're going to pray together. I'm going to explain how it's going to work. It's going to be a little bit different. But I want to give you guys some time just to reflect on perhaps a series, perhaps on the words I've just spoken. Um, I want you to give you guys an opportunity to listen to God. We're going to put some questions up. We're going to sing a song, which you might not know. So just sit there, listen. And if you want to join in, you're welcome to do so. But let's just take some time out to respond. Let's do some questions. Are you aware that you are made in the image of God? Have you tried to fix your faults and failed?
Do you find Jesus' teachings freeing or condemning? Do you want to follow Jesus' example?